0: Welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy podcast. My name's Dave and I'm your host and I'm here in the city of Edinburgh with the rest of the Stand Up Tragedy team putting together an hour of tragic variety every night 7.30 at the Banshee Labyrinth Banqueting Hall venue 156 as part of the Free Fringe. So come along and see some tragedy. If you know people who are in town, tell them about it. Every night's going to have a completely different lineup. We've got comedians, we've got spoken word artists, we've got musicians, we've got storytellers, and we've got so much more. Every single night, a different combination of people creating a completely different flavour of tragedy. So come along, tell your friends, and come and join us for some tragedy. We're going to be releasing podcasts here pretty regularly but we're going to be regular and erratic because tragically we have not got Wi-Fi in the flat that we have up here so we're having troubles getting the brilliant audio that we're recording out to you but we're going to get one episode out a week which is basically one of the shows in its entirety from beginning to end and we're going to get one show out that is the best of the rest where I select some clips from the other shows and present them to you So this is the show that took place at the Banshee Labyrinth at 7.30 on the 10th of August and there's some amazing performances inside it. One thing to note is that we're in a cave, we're doing our best to capture the audio in that cave and make it sound as delicious as you would like it to be, but you know, we're at the fringe, we have our limitations, so sometimes the sound when our performers go off mic is a little bit more cavernous uh, but that's okay that's okay if you you'll get used to it listen and you'll enjoy it so you can you'll 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 tune out the sound of the fans and stuff that you can hear in the background and just enjoy the brilliant tragedy it's a treat this one i know you're going to enjoy it so relax and get ready for the tragedy hello everybody Welcome to Stand Up Tragedy, my name's Dave and I'm your host and what we do at Stand Up Tragedy is we get together a group of different performers of different kinds so we get comedians, spoken word artists, storytellers, musicians to come and stand up on stage and do some tragedy whatever that means to them. So I don't know what tonight is, what this hour is going to feel like. I don't know what this combination of people is going to create in here. If we're going to be laughing more than we're crying or crying more than we're laughing, I really won't, don't know. And uh, that's an exciting position for us to all be in. So uh, we do we do tragedy here so that's something that people should be aware of that tragedy right it's about sad things generally uh they might be death or or sad or dark uh, themes come up so when you're walking down the street a terrible thing could happen to you at any time obviously uh, but when you're sitting in this room terrible things will happen to people on stage at least not to you uh, but to our performers or in their stories in their words they will be talking about those sorts of things so be prepared for that but we like to make people cry until they laugh and laugh until they cry here so we're also a podcast so you can listen to us uh, anywhere that podcasts hang out online so uh, itunes or stitcher or soundcloud places like that you can listen back to some of the shows we've been doing in edinburgh you can listen back to our back catalogue and we are using the hashtag tragic moments on Twitter. If you're having a tragic moment at the fringe and you want to moan about it, a tragedy is best shared. So share it on Twitter and we will retweet it and uh, enjoy it and uh, respond with our tragic moments ourselves. Um, So, yes, I'm aware that this is very much the sadmin section of the show. I'm I'm sorry about that, but we're going to persevere nevertheless. So the next thing I want to tell you about is a very special thing that we had made for us. So bear with me one moment while I grab it. Okay. Okay. So this, ladies and gentlemen, is the smell of tragedy, the scent of tragedy. Now, what happened? We run this show up in London as well, and uh, for our last London show before we came up to Edinburgh, we asked a very talented guy called Joe Barrett who makes scents for events. Uh, you can find out more about that at muteandinvisible.com. And what we said to what I said to him is, "What does the smell of tragedy smell like?" And he made three different scents, and uh, the audience voted, and this is the official. Win uh Thankfully for us and for you, uh, this is the nicest of the three smells to actual, actually inhale the smell of. Uh, the other one was tragic drunk and tragic war. They were quite intense. Now this is the one, the one. I'm not saying it's not intense, but it does smell better. Right, so we'll have a, a little smell of the tragedy now. So, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully there won't be a tragedy of people being allergic to it. Ah, hello people entering the room, you don't know why I'm spraying this. That's good. Um, so that is the scent of tragedy. Uh, and what do people think it smells like? Any any ideas, any thoughts? What, what was that? Musky. Musky, yes, that's, that's about right. It's supposed to smell like the smell of uh, newly crisp bed linen. Now, that might not sound like a tragic smell, but the, the thinking behind it is that when do you smell that smell, the smell of fresh, clean bed linen? It may be when your partner has left you. Uh, or it may be when your partner has died and you've washed the sheets in the bed afterwards. And so that is why this, it's, 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 a, it's almost a positive smell, but it's, it's, it's the smell of tragedy that he made for us. If you pe- put £10 in our hat when you leave the room, you can purchase the smell of tragedy. Uh, we have two with us today, but we can give more out than two. But we'll have to take your details and send them to you if more than to buy them so uh, the other thing you can get if you put money into the hat at the end a couple of quid rather than 10 pounds or as well as 10 pounds whatever you want to do is some of these these are tragic snaps and they are little party poppers which when you pop them out of out from the inside comes a tiny little very short tragic story written by the the author jay adamthwaite you can find out more about her at jadamthwaite.com and these are some of the tragic gifts we can give to you if you choose to support us at the end and the last bit of sadmin to do is that when we came up to edinburgh we relaunched our blog online uh, because we we're interested in all kinds of tragedy not just performance but all forms like smells and also the written form so we're putting out pieces. Pieces of fiction and uh, true story telling online at www.standuptragedy.co.uk, uh, and that's the gateway to all other things tragic. And that's the end of the admin section, sadmin rather. And right. So, I was checking then to see if the first performer was here yet. He isn't, so I'm going to introduce somebody else. Hopefully there won't be a tragedy. We won't have to find somebody else to perform instead of him, but we may do, and we actually have people we can draft in, so it won't be too much of a bad tragedy. Right, so, our first performer, he's doing a show called Challenge Accepted. It's at 12.15 at Cerucci. Put your hands together for Simon
1: Kane!
2: (laughs) Hello guys, you alright? Yeah. Well, that's not the attitude we want. At tragedy, is it? <laughs>
3: it's
2: regrettable. Yeah. So, right, how's it going? Yeah. Um, I uh, normally I'd start with a joke, but it feels inappropriate. So, I'll, I'll go from here. Uh, I had a granddad that died a couple of months ago. Yeah, right in. We're, we're starting high. Uh, he died. He died from cancer, and uh, I didn't know him very well. Uh, As a result, the funeral was a bit of a harrowing affair. kind of had to meet a whole area of the family that I I didn't really know existed. Uh, And they sort of kept coming up to me asking, Oh, how are you doing? You all right? Not really. I've just (laughs) lost a granddad. Uh, But thanks for your concern. And uh, about a a week after uh, this funeral, uh, I was on Facebook. And he came up on my People I Might Know. (laughs) Which I thought was strangely profiteering, you know, from that, that side of platform. Like as if they'd sort of run out of living people to add. And I know where they'd come up with a new feature, like an online Ouija board, where they'd kind of, you know, allowed dead people to join. Uh, I've added him. Uh, haven't heard back. But, uh, you know, we weren't close in life, so you never know. Um, now... <laughs> Uh, now, like I said, he, he died from um, uh, cancer, and uh, I, about week, uh, I, my show, I should explain, is all for prostate cancer, and uh, it's kind of raised money for that, and um, uh, after signing up for that, I was watching um, Deal or No Deal. Are we aware of that program? Yeah. yeah? All right. um, it, was, it was a celebrity edition of the program. Uh, we, it's essentially where they um, have someone famous come on and do it for a charity. Um, now, I, I hate that program, because I just think it's just, it's horrible. Can we all agree that that's random chance? And there's no skill involved. Yeah. yeah, right. How is it not classed as human torture when they do it for large sums of money that could go to underfunded charities trying to save people's lives? You know, like I was, I was watching um, Sarah Milliken do it for cancer research, right? And I thought this is Schrodinger's box for charity. <laughs> you know, You're like walking along, going, "Oh, we're gonna find some funding in this box." No. Or maybe there's a cure in this box. <laughs> no. I'm not going to do every box. I should. <laughs> about, about 10 of you have already given up on the idea. I'm not going <laughs> to antagonize. Um, she was doing, she's doing quite well. She got down to the last two boxes, um, and she was asked for <laughs> them to stick with the one she'd had the whole game, or switch with the only other one in play. And she turned to the audience and went, should I switch or stick? Because when you're that far in, why take responsibility for your own actions? And uh, they were yelling out, sweet stick, sweet stick. And uh, the producers cunningly gave a microphone to one of the audience members who went, Sarah, don't worry about how much money you raise, because just you being on the show will raise awareness of the charity and the illness itself. Which is true, because before watching the programme, I didn't even know cancer existed. (laughs) Ballsy punchline, I'm aware. (laughs) It's also the reason I don't get booked for TV, but we're... Right. Um, but, uh yeah, she, st- she started with her own box, right? And she got, she got £20,000 for charity, which I thought was great, right? And Noel Evans, he's died. He came on, and he was like, oh, you've done really well here today, Sarah. You should be really proud of yourself. Uh, I should also wish you good luck on your upcoming tour. Hope that's just successful. And uh, she'll also say, Sarah hasn't taken a fee for being on the programme. She's donated that to the charity as well. And I thought, oh, that's, that's really nice of her, you know? And, and if I was her agent... That's exactly what I tell her to do. You know, I'd be like, Sarah, don't worry about the money because just you being on the show will raise awareness of your tour.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it's true because before watching the program, I didn't even know her tour existed. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm not picking on her too much. I think, I think it's um, it probably a management decision. She didn't get much to say. The, the people that annoy me in that are Channel 4 because I, I feel like they've got so many game show formats and so many unemployed people out of work, if you believe, you know, the Daily Mail, that there's just, there's just a match made in heaven there. Who wouldn't want to see skilled people fucked with on daytime TV, you know? Who wouldn't watch The Graduate Apprentice? 49 candidates, no job. <laughs> it's gonna be a fun nine weeks. <laughs> you yeah, know, they never find out till the end, you know? They never find out till the end. Uh, little joke there about graduate schemes, you know, they don't employ their stuff. Um, tragic. Uh, um, now uh, I uh, I'm in a relationship at the moment, and uh, for for about a month in in July, she went away on holiday, and it was horrible because it was like we broke. Because she went away uh, to like a retreat somewhere and couldn't have a phone with her, so I had no contact with her for uh, for like a whole thirty days, and it was like we'd broken up and we kind of couldn't have. Hey guys, come on in. Hello. Hey. Right. Do you you know what this night is about? No. Right. (laughs) Shit's about to get real in your world. Oh,
0: that's
2: all right. Uh, Okay. Uh, I'll just quickly explain the purpose of the night. Sit down first. Um, uh, This this gig is called Stand Up Tragedy. What we do is uh, comedians come up here, uh, performers, be poet, whatever, uh, and we tell you tragic things from our lives in humorous ways. You've just missed out on five minutes of cancer gold. Uh, oh, it was all right fine. Uh, maybe I shouldn't refer to it like that. Um, but whatever we're into uh, I'm, I'm in a relationship. Uh, she went away on holiday for a month without a phone, couldn't talk to her. It was hell. Uh, that's where we're at, right And that's was, no, she went actually, she pre-planned the holiday. It wasn't like <laughs> it wasn't like she fucked off. <laughs> like she we're, but we're fine now. <laughs> Probably because of the holiday, are oh, you? You know, one month away from me. If you're ready for a restart, um, but um, thanks for your feedback. Um, that is all. Um, but it was it, it was it was fine. But it was just hell. It was it was. I mean, anyone in a single? No. Statistically, one person in this. No, no one gonna. Thank you. Right. You, know, you don't know how lucky you are. Right. I, because I was single for like two, seven years, and I, we got into a relationship quite quickly, and I didn't realise how much I missed being lonely. That is, it's kind of nice, you know? I had a month of it, and it was, oh, you don't know how lucky you are. You get to be lonely all the time. Isn't it great? Do you have this problem? I have this problem, because for that month, I couldn't work it out because I, I was a bit mixed up with my emotions. Do you have this problem where you don't know whether you're hungry or lonely, and by the time you know which one it is, you're full, and lonely.
1: <laughs>
2: Put on a bit of weight <clears throat> over that month. I'll be honest. Uh, but uh, you know, it's fine. we uh, move on to the next bit. Thank you. Um, I uh, now, as a, uh, I uh, basically I, I was raised Jewish uh, for sort of the first sixteen years, and then I decided I'd, I, I'd look into other things, and now I consider myself an atheist. And um, I find uh, when you're part of a group, certain things you do um, don't seem weird or different, because you're part of the group. There's context there. It's fine. Uh, But sometimes when you you look at a group from the outside, you think that's a bit weird and stuff. Um, Like, for example, when I was Jewish, about eight days into being born, my parents invited around a complete stranger to cut off the end of my penis. (laughs) Now, at the time, I went with it, right? You know, you don't really know what's happening. You know there's going to be cake at the end. It's, it's Everything's great, right? Uh, now, as I'm an atheist now, I probably would have had some objections.
1: <laughs>
2: or at least four or five questions. <laughs> would have sort of gone, eh, I don't remember agreeing to this. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the problem with that was, was that, um, as we established, uh, st- comedy is tragedy plus time. And I was only eight days old. So it took me about 26 more years to understand the humor in child genital mutilation <laughs> uh, and, I, and I thank them for that you yeah, know it's a nice bit of material um so I'm gonna hand you back to your MC now you guys have been really lovely um so yeah as he said I've got a show I'll be firing it afterwards that's all right I'm flying yeah why to I'll be flying it afterwards you guys have got a lovely night ahead of you probably mm. <laughs> maybe but yeah I'll uh, speak to you soon thanks bye <laughs> Simon Kane,
0: everybody and uh yeah, he did well then, taking 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 the first slot that was was not supposed to be his because it was supposed to be this next person's slot. Thankfully, he hasn't died. I've seen that he's here. He could have died. He's got a heart condition. It could have happened, but he but it but it hasn't. So he's it's all right. Um, so I should just before I bring him on, I'll just make a quick clarification in that uh, it doesn't have to be true things that happen to people. People could get up here and tell any kind of uh, tragedy. Uh, it might not be about their lives. Although looking at the bill, it's pretty much going to be about everybody's life most of. Most of these uh, performers tonight. So anyway, so uh, he had the next performer has a show called Crap Time Lord at the Pilgrim at one forty-five, and he has a show called What the Fuck Is This upstairs uh, at eleven thirty uh, here in the Banshee Labyrinth. So put your hands together, everybody, for Richard Tyrone Jones.
4: Thank you. I'm glad it doesn't have to be true because uh, I am a poet or liar. As we're sometimes known, you know, when someone comes on and says, "I am a liar," you know, do you believe them or not? Yeah. Right? Yeah, uh, I'm going to start with uh, a, po- a well, a poem, I think, or a lie, depending on um, uh, how stilted you are about these things. Uh, security marker. He first lit on the idea as he was marking all his valuables. After all. I value you most, he joked. And so he dipped the nib of his tongue in UV, invisible ink, intending to lick her all over, top to toe, so he would know by any dark place where he had missed. But if you do that, she laughed, and I do get lost or stolen, they won't know where to send me back. Leave our postcode blank at least. So he stopped. Her tongue, with his, proceeded to paint her every surface. It didn't have to, but it took all night. And some particularly hard-to-reach nooks got coated at least twice. (laughs) So when she stepped out nude onto the balcony of the flat, under the kitchen's blinking flycatcher and strip lights, those occupants of the opposite blocks who swore they saw a ghost were wrong. Those who guessed a spirit, warmer. Those who said an angel. Well, they only saw what I saw. Cheers. So that one might not seem very tragic, but she fell off the balcony, and the the ink was from the 1920s, and it was radioactive, so he died of fossy jaw. <laughs> Um, okay, I'm going to do a couple of ones that are, do get quite depressing now. Uh, just because I think on a day like this, really, you've just got to sometimes roll with the, the depression and just go how the weather is going. And if you fight against it, you're going to be less happy as a result. You've just got to roll with the punches sometimes. Uh, parable. I met a tramp who asked for food. I had some yoghurts and a spoon. She asked for the yoghurt. I said, forget it, I keep the yoghurt and you have the spoon. This way, both of us will go hungry, but both of us will get a story to tell our grandchildren. (laughs) Except neither of us will have any probably, because you are a junkie and I am a dick. (laughs) With a yogurty chin.
3: <laughs>
4: Top. I wasn't, wasn't going to do this one, but I think this this sums up the um, the. Uh, you've actually done that, haven't you?
3: Uh,
4: I think this one, uh, this next one, sums up the uh, the the, tra- the tragic performer uh, quite well. Um, you know, a bit res- reflexive, bit postmodern, but still, polar conquest. Woke up one morning in a standing position. He lashed himself to a runner bean pole so as not to heed the genetic failure sirens who might lure him back to bed, only to find his shadow had strapped itself down with that taut catgut regret. He strained, was clamped. But he had lovers to paint, empires to create, art to destroy. It was only by six months of careful construction of an encircling lattice of stage lamps to illuminate his every plane wherever he walked and another six months' weight training so he could lift it, that he could stagger to the streets, melting snow and scorching foliage wherever he went, salting water tables with his own nude sweat. Behold, he gasped, Oh, ye medical establishment, I am cured! Now, would you like one about Henry Rollins hanging himself... Uh, or one about lots of people hanging themselves. Lots of people. Okay. Um, this one is quite depressing because it's about, the well, the tendency of uh, uh, men to um, kill themselves a lot more. Uh, I mean, I say a lot more. They, they only do it once on average.
0: But, um,
4: and from a serene night sky, the men leapt in their millions, screaming, from each star, a flame, a noose around each neck, rope unraveling from the stellar windows, a cosmic stunt hoping just to reach the earth in death, but stopped short. Ropes taut, necks snapped, flames extinguished by the drop, each dangling, pendulous smoldering, one foot from the planet the skies revolve around. And will we dare to climb those ropes ourselves when we've cut that harvest down? I told you it was going to get a little bit darker. Thank you. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if applause is the correct response after that poem. I think maybe just um, silent tears in the darkness. And most of you are probably doing that right now. So. Um, Yeah, my show is called Crap Time Lord, and it is about uh, surviving heart failure and how having two hearts and a cancelled BBC series and a succession of glamorous, intelligent and sexy companions who have all left me, (laughs) just like a crap time lord, has made me a crap time lord. It's called Crap Time Lord, and it's on at 145 at Pilgrim, which is just down the bottom of the Nidri Street, then take a left, about 20 metres on your right. And, um, yeah, the good thing about um, heart failure is, though, that uh, when you get heart failure, um, you get a show out of it, um, uh, three awards and uh, a BBC Radio 4 series. So, uh, yeah, everybody get heart failure. That's my experience. (laughs) So, yeah, you don't always get what you want, but sometimes you get what you need. You want William Shakespeare. You get... William Shatner. (laughs) You want to explore new worlds, you get hooked on second life. You want spiritual guidance, you get Satnav voiced by Yuri Geller. You want a girlfriend experience, you meet your second wife. You want Prince Charming, you get the Prince of Wales. You want a mobile home, you get snails. You want a sign from God, you get a visit from the Jehovah's Witnesses. You want your kids to do better than you, they become conservatives. We, we, well, this was written in England by, by an Englishman. Uh, uh. We eat in the car and call it a picnic. You want fine writing, you get strong language. You want to catch a falling star, you get flying ants. You want a feast <laughs> fit for an earl, you grab a sandwich. You want Lefroig, you get grants.
1: <laughs>
4: you want air miles, you get exile. You want a quiet night in, you get a curfew. You want to experience foreign cultures, you get invaded. You want self-sufficiency, you get blockaded. Staying till closing time, that's a night out. You want the Beatles, you get... Oasis. You want Anne Boleyn, you get Anne of Cleves. You want life to be like wacky races, you just meet wacky racists. You want
1: <laughs>
4: Handel's Messiah, you get green sleeves. You want home ownership, you get homeopathy. You want A nice cardi, you get cardiomyopathy. You want a wake-up call, you get a fire alarm. You want to move to the country, you almost buy the farm. We settle for cuddles and call it a marriage. You want the Simpsons, you get the Jetsons. You want a rainbow, you get a prism. You want an heir, you get a stepson. You want time to think, you get prison. You want when Harry met Sally, you get Paul and Barry. You want Johnny Cash, you get Cash and Carry. You want to make a difference, you barely make a living. You want whatever she's having, you get what you're given. We lie in bed crying, we're working from home. That's my idea of a punchline. Uh, I'm Richard Tyrone Jones, 145 Pilgrim Bar. Actually, my show is a lot less depressing, especially when it's not raining. Thank you very much, Standard
0: Richard Tyrone Jones, everybody. Okay, so our next performer is, is much taller than me, so I'm going to have to raise this. Raise this uh... up. Uh, How do a do that? We got a bucket. We have is uh, the bucket person there? I oh, know. I don't know. Yes, she is there. Right. Uh, do you want to hold this mic today, uh, Alan? Huh? You go without it, all oh. right. Ah. There it is a tragedy there. Okay, I think we might, ha- we might have you a mic. Yeah, is that... Right, well, you can use it or not, but I will introduce you rather than talk to you down from the end of the room. So, uh, his show is called Absolutely. It's going to be from the 13th to the 24th of August at the Phoenix at 12 o'clock. Put your hands together for Alan Girard! Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thanks, mate. Hey, uh, welcome, everybody. Thanks for uh, for having me here. So, um, uh, my show's a storytelling show, so it's probably a little bit different to to uh, what's already been on tonight. And uh, I'm going to, to share a little little story with you, and it's uh, it's not from my show, but I, I guess the style of it is is kind of what my show's like. And uh, oh. Yeah, I tend to just finish my stories and then run away from the stage. Um, So I'll tell you quickly about my show now. Um, I I won't actually mention the the full venue details because there's a slight feud between my venue and and this one. Um, And uh, UN Intervention all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, it's called Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I'm not allowed to hand out flyers in this space. So um, after the show, you know, uh, I'll wait for you in neutral territory outside the building. And, you know, I'll give you a flyer there. But it's, it's about my journey from uh, extreme introvert and then and then accidentally finding uh, acting and then, then going on to performing in uh, Cirque du Soleil. So, uh, yeah, it's a really cool little story. A few ups and, <laughs> few, few ups and downs, you know. Um, but look, the, the story tonight is, um, I, go, I go way back to uh, 1973. And uh, it's in Western Australia, and I was only four years old back then, but I I remember this Christmas forever. And uh, uh, basically, I was in Dampier. I don't know if anyone's been to Western Australia. It's this tiny little town, way up uh, about 1,200 miles north of Perth, Um, and uh, yeah, that's where we're living. It's a mining town, they dig up iron ore. And uh, it was the last Christmas my family was together. The, the following year, Mum took uh, my brother and my sister and I and we got the hell out of there because um, of Dad. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so this, this Christmas, I, I, I remember... More well, well, let me tell the story. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, so I guess what was cool about that Christmas was I, I got the best present ever from my dad. And I remember unwrapping it, and it was this uh, World War II patrol boat, you know? And um, I just stared at it for hours and imagined all these, like, uh, you know, wartime adventures. And, and it had all these cool things on it, like, you know, torpedo tubes on the side and these little gun turrets that swiveled around. And it was even, like, a clip-on motor that went underneath the boat, and it had, like, a couple of AA batteries and, and even had, um, uh, like, a little rudder. On the end which you can use to steer it and this was like for a four-year-old this was like the best thing ever you know and uh, i can remember just playing with it for weeks in the bathtub and uh but after a while you know i guess it got a bit boring because it just ricocheted off the sides you know and i wanted to see it run on full throttle you know out in the open water so uh a few weeks later when we went to the beach um Uh, I was just like jumping out on my skin because this was my big charge, you know, but but all my excitement got squashed because Dad gave me a very serious talk about, you know, don't let the boat go straight because it'll run away from you and it'll just go out into the ocean and you'll lose it. So I had to follow his instructions, right, you know, so it was rudder hard left or rudder hard right. And uh, I suppose you know, there's there's something else I need to to share about my dad. Is he just didn't give the stern voice talk. You know, he quite often uh, backed it up. And uh, like a few months before Christmas, uh, uh, I remembered at that time he, um, yeah, well, he he was in one of his moods as uh, as we knew it, and uh, we'd been told to go outside and play, but play very quietly. and uh, no matter what happens or whatever, you are not to come back into the house. And so it's like, oh, okay, right here. So we started playing chasey really quietly, you know. And, uh, and after a while, I realised I needed to go to the toilet, but. I remember what mum said, do not come back into the house. So I did what any logical four-year-old would do, right? I just dropped my pants on the driveway and did a big poo there, you know? <laughs> and then uh pulled my pants up and then kept playing chasey, you know? <laughs> it seemed like the right thing to do because, uh, you know, I didn't want to get caught, you know? Um, and uh, uh, about an hour or so later, dad woke up and came out and just totally freaked out at the new addition to the front yard. And... Um, but of course, we were all so terrified that because uh, he was highly unpredictable. and, and uh, so, so when he was screaming at us and shaking us to say, who did this? My brother, my sister and I, we were all too terrified to answer. So we just started crying. So then he took us all inside, took his belt off and just whipped us all off because one of us did it, right? Um, so that's the kind of guy he was. So when he told me to make sure that the rudder was left or right, I did that, yeah? and uh, you know it was cool at the beach I'm playing with the boat and it's going around in donut circles and, and after a while you know just turning right like that got to be boring so I changed the rudder. And, like, and that got boring as well and then I came up with the master plan right I could get it out into the straight water and just I just wanted to see it go in a straight line but if I started in ankle deep water and then ran alongside it I'd be able to stop it before it ran away from me right and so I was just so keen to see it surge into the dampier swell you know and uh I just I remember letting it go and just watching it take off like who would have thought that two double A batteries could just give it so much power you know and it surged through the, the minuscule surf and uh, And I was just so excited watching it that I I didn't take off with it. I forgot to run. And and by the time I surged and and lunged after it, it was too late because I got to waist-deep water, and that was it. That was my limit. I couldn't go any deeper because this is northwest Western Australia, right? There's like sea snakes and octopus and shark and stingrays and stonefish, and they can all either really hurt you or kill you, Yeah. So I stopped and then I did what any four-year-old would do. I just started bawling my eyes out and, and ran back up onto the beach like a you know wobbly jellyfish stranded, you know. Dad, I remember, came walking towards me and, and I thought at this point I'm, I'm gonna get the hit for, for not following instructions and just put my gaze down into the sand and braced myself. And he just ran straight past me. I looked around, I watched him and he just like ran right into the water and then did this big specky dive. And then he came back up out of the water and then he just powered out like a, like a torpedo with arms, you know. And I know a, a kid's perspective isn't accurate. <laughs> um, but he must have swum out like hundreds and hundreds of metres, you know. And then he came back again. He's just like climbing up out of the water and up onto the beach and he had my boat in his big paw. And he came up to me and I got ready again. And he just gave me this little pat on the head and gave me the boat back. So oh, I always remember that Christmas. And he uh,
3: he only came to visit us
1: once after that, about four years later. Which is weird because I love this boat. It was like the pies in in my toy chest, even then, four years later. But I was scared to see him when he came back. Thanks
0: for listening. Thanks. Cheers. I <laughs> Girard, everybody. Okay, so our next performer is called Nina Gray. So put your hands together for Nina Gray! Uh,
3: I know you were given a content note at the beginning, but you should have it again because I'm not going to do jokes. And I'm going to vomit my depression at you. So, you know, if you want to like, take yourself out or put on your iPod, it should be about two songs long. Three if the mountain goats. On the 26th of September last year I sent my friend Alice a birthday text and she didn't answer and I thought that would be because we argued the day before and I didn't think anything of it really and on the 27th I found out she'd been found in her caravan she'd hanged herself. and that night everyone came round to my house to wail and get drunk when my friend Libby arrived, her face was so puffy from crying she couldn't see and she had to be led by the hand. And when I touched her, she collapsed into me and said, I can't believe it, it's not true. Because I looked it up later, she was in the first stage of grief, which is denial. And about a bottle and a half of wine later Martine looked really guilty and said, Has anyone else really fucked off at her yet? And nobody left her hanging. This was stage two, which was anger. And Everybody sort of piled in with their anger. And then Jenny, with all of the authority of a soon-to-be PhD, said, That's how I know I could never commit suicide. I've seen what it does to the people left behind. And at that point, I left the room. So I didn't see stages three through five because I don't know that I won't. Probably at this point I should tell you I'm medicated and in therapy, you don't need to worry. (laughs) Um, But the weather in my head, it's really predictable. Every few months I have to trudge through a few weeks of really severe depression. Um, And at this point, I know that it's always coming. And I've learned to notice the bite in the air before the fog rolls in. I could probably tell you weeks in advance that I'm due a breakdown, but it's okay, I won't. Mm -hmm. I just watch myself lie on my bed every night and not do anything. And carefully avoid making plans. When friends say, you're being really brave about this whole thing, I say, no, I'm not. And I hope that they believe me because people are brave when they take risks but when you know you haven't got much time left and you're promised a crash, it doesn't matter what you do with the last few weeks, it's easy to look brave. When the switch flipped I was out in town which is terrible because town is full of people and. I felt like I could feel their eyes on me and that they all hated me. And I hated them more. And so I ducked into a coffee shop to try and hide, but there was a guy from uni in there. And guys from uni can fuck fuck off. (laughs) Um, So I ran out and put my headphones in and the beats hurt my teeth. But At least they were predictable and I walked home. It took longer than usual. And it would have been quicker to take the bus, it would have been 10 minutes, but I'd have had to talk to the driver and I couldn't say anything. Not even 190 please. And I spent weeks in my room not doing anything because it didn't matter, but I was weak with hunger and that my bladder was full and that my room stank. And when the menstrual cramps came along to add some texture to the misery, I didn't take any painkillers because everything's too difficult and I'm not worth anything. And people started to notice something was wrong and they said this is because of Alice. And it felt like a betrayal to say no, but it wasn't, not really. And then living is like watching an anesthetized body walk through my life and you can see people hug me and tell me they love me and maybe just imagine how it should feel can eat and just sort of remember what things taste like. I get caught sometimes. In the rain, I've got my hood down and one drop of cold water lands on my neck before my hair starts and after my coat stops. And I shiver because depression is really close to ecstasy. It's just separated off and I can see it through the veil. It's like being lonely in a crowd when what you want is all around you and completely inaccessible. And... there is no way out. Because anything I could possibly do to help myself requires momentum and I haven't got any. I'm motivationally bankrupt. So I'm just trapped and there's no combination of food and coffee and sex and whatever you do, whatever order you do them, that can sort of throw up the right hormones that sort of pull me from the numbness. In the end, something has to come from nothing. And it always does. It's just there one morning, like a spark. It's the strength to wash my face and leave the house during daylight hours. And suddenly, everything's really vivid and gorgeous. The red brick terrace houses on my street and the smell from the chip shop. And the tourists along the quayside taking pictures of the bridges and getting shattered by the seagulls. And every lyric of every song means everything and my beautiful, hilarious friends are beautiful and hilarious. And that's the silver lining to the fog. But it doesn't make it worth it.
0: Mia <laughs> Gray, everybody. Somebody who doesn't think she's brave, but is incredibly brave. Okay, so. Uh, right, I'm going to uh, try, ch- so tonally it's going to change a little bit because I'm going to do something now. Um, I'm going um, to have to set a song playing though. Uh, okay, so I'm going to do a, uh, a little kind of it's a spoken word piece, I guess. Um, it's about taking songs seriously, so it kind of uh, leads in from where Nina was, was a little bit in what she was talking about. Um, so uh, I'm going to, I, does anybody know the song uh, Diamonds by Rihanna? Yes, I expected yes, sometimes you don't get yes and it's very confusing with such a popular song. Um, so that song is by Sia Fuller Benny Blanco and Stargate but as I think we'll all agree Rihanna's the person who brings it alive with her amazing delivery I'm assuming you all love the song as much as I do and I will not take no for her uh, no I just won't hear you if you say you don't so uh, <laughs> I love it I love the song um, but when I hear it I don't hear the kind of positive message that the song's all about because I make a, I make a night called Stand Up Tragedy and I'm a really depressing guy um, so this is uh, about what I hear what I think the songs about this is my interpretation of the lyrics shine bright like a diamond diamonds can't shine they can only reflect the light from outside them find light in the beautiful sea you can't have light in the sea or at least light inside the sea is very rare fire in the sea goes out i choose to be happy this is explicitly the tragedy of the song she chooses to be happy and in that moment and ignore the impossibility of their love functioning practically you and i you and i we're like diamonds in the sky There are no diamonds in the sky. This means they are like an impossible thing. Their love is based on fantasy, not on reality. You're a shooting star I see is a particularly sad line because it means he is so very far away. Visible but impossibly distant. He will disappear soon in a flash. A vision of ecstasy. The love they feel are feeling is heightened as if they are on the drug ecstasy. It is based on real feelings. Well, Molly, as she later mentions in the song, is based on real feelings. The love they have is real. They do connect but they are only seeing the brightest parts of it. All the darkness is obscured. They are idealizing themselves and each other. And so it's even sadder when she says that she only really feels alive when he's holding her. She only feels alive in the arms of an impossible love. And then she repeats, we're like diamonds in the sky. They're like something that is not real. There are no diamonds in the sky. There are stars. They sometimes look like diamonds. Maybe she is thinking of the stars. I knew we'd become one right away. The thing is, we can't ever become one. Two humans will remain two humans no matter how hard they press against each other. We are always still trapped inside our own minds. Oh, right away. She wants to lose herself quickly. I think I can understand that. To want to disappear completely. But you never really can At first sight, I felt the energy of sun rays. And that's the thing. Stars look like diamonds in the sky, but the stars are suns. And if you close your eyes, you are nowhere near the sun. You can't even look into the sun. I saw the life inside your eyes. She saw the life inside his eyes. Past tense. And whose life did she see? His? Her own? A dream of a life she'll live? We're like diamonds in the sky, we're an impossible thing. We're like diamonds in the sky, we're an impossible thing. We're like diamonds in the sky, we're an impossible thing. We're like diamonds in the sky, we're an impossible thing. We're like diamonds in the sky, we're an impossible thing. Thank you very much. That is my first piece of, uh, of tragedy for you. I'm going to do one more and then, we're, um, then I'm going to kind of close the show up. So this is a song. Uh, now, who knows what platform game character is? Yeah. Wow, not very many. I've, I found this happen before. Who knows what a computer game character is? Yeah. Do you remember those computer games and they still are around now where you sort of jump up onto different levels? Yeah? That's a platform game character. So a good example of a platform game character is a, a Super Mario. He's a very good example. Or Sonic the Hedgehog. So, uh, now you know what I mean. You, you all know what I'm talking about, right? So does anybody have a favorite platform game character? What's that? Mine? Minecraft? Um, no. Uh, but... <laughs> So you could say Sonic the Hedgehog. You could you could say um, Super Mario. You could say uh, Bubsy Bobcat. There's a there's a, you could say uh, B- Bubble Bubble. There's a lot of different uh, people. So whoever your favorite, uh, whoever your favorite platform game character is i want you to uh, close your eyes and imagine that they're there uh, this song is about them uh, because it's the last it's about the last platform game character standing uh, p- technically historically they'd be on the n64 so probably mario but anything whoever you like it's the last platform game uh, character standing and this is called the last platform you can open your eyes because you want to see my beautiful face My face is smiling That's how they program me These pixels, they are dying The world disappears slowly Dust fills the cartridge Jungles and mountains disappear I tried to jump onto a ledge But it's no longer there No one plays this. No one plays this anymore. No one plays this anymore. Uh No one plays this anymore. They have forgotten me. They have forgotten me. My friends and my enemies, they all went first Leaving me all alone on the screen Walking through empty landscapes Remembering what we had been It used to be bright, the music didn't stop And if you died, you just got up again And You didn't realise that things could change That the game could ever really end Dust fills the spaces, making everything glitch I'm separated forever, you can't control me anymore This is the last platform, I cannot jump This is the last platform, why can't I jump? This is the last platform, and I cannot jump. This is the last platform, oh, why can't I jump? I've forgotten my name and the name of the game. Soon you will forget me, too. You'll put me away because I don't work, and you have new and better things to use. Things that don't age and don't break. Things you think will last forever, but listen to me learn from my fate. They said the same things about me, however, no one plays this anymore. No one plays this anymore. No one plays this anymore. You have forgotten me. You have forgotten me. You have forgotten me. Thank you. So this is now the end of the tragedy. But before you go, I would like to say to you that it costs a lot of money to get up here. Now it's a free show. You can come in for free. That is absolutely fine. But it costs a lot of money to get up here. It costs money to be in the fringe. Uh, you, you, you imagine the uh, fringe brochure it costs people 400 pounds to get a tiny little bit of space and nothing else really. That's all they get, but you have to pay it because you want people to come to your show. That costs money. It costs money for my uh, for my team to have accommodation and to eat. So I pay for that because I do not want anybody uh, spending their money on my show. Uh, so it costs me a lot of money to get up here. I lost my job earlier this year. This year has become a tragedy. You know, my girlfriend is being thrown out of women, thrown out of our house, and moved into another house. It's really bleak, actually, if I really get into it. But I won't do that because it's a bucket speech, not a, not a misery convention. Well, it kind of is a misery convention. But anyway, as you go out the door, think about those things when you consider putting your, your money into the bucket. Also think about great things like supporting art, right? Because the Tories ain't going to fucking do it. So supporting art, that's a good thing to do. Supporting people. Uh, buying Richard Tyrone Jones' book uh, if you if you want to. It's a good book but put some money in our hat as well. And remember, there's tragic scents you can get for £10 and there's uh, tragic party bubblers for £1. Uh, I don't stop really because I have a, a dislike of silence based on my unpleasant childhood so uh if you kind of don't clap i will keep talking forever so uh, i would advise clapping thank you very much the tragedy is over have a good day night year This podcast was put together by me with a sound recorded by the excellent Stephen Harvey and the music was by Samuel Wilkinson and George Boffman.